Well, good morning, Crossworders, and welcome to Crossword Online for those that are tuning in at uh, home, and uh, hope that you're all doing well, and that you are ready for this week's uh, look into 1 Samuel. Uh, this week we are turning to 1 Samuel 22. Uh, last week we looked at 1 Samuel 21 and a little bit of 1 Samuel 22, but we're going to pick up again uh, from the beginning of 1 Samuel 22 just to get a feel of what this passage is really about. Uh, last week, just a bit of a recap, if you remember, we were looking at, uh, well, David uh, and what was transpiring with him as he was fleeing from Saul uh, and how he acted in the presence of certain uh, people in certain situations, uh, as well as we just picked up briefly on a snake in the grass. And this week we need to pick up on that once again and just notice what is taking place. But before we get into it, let me open in a word of prayer for us. Uh, we'll read just a short piece. Uh, we won't read the whole section, and then we'll begin. Uh, let's pray together. Our gracious Heavenly Father, we do thank you for your word. We thank you for uh, the reminder of uh, what you are going to reveal to us. And Lord, that as we do consider your word this morning, uh, that we do know that uh, it is truly and ultimately fulfilled in your Son, Jesus Christ. But Lord, that we may find the joy in searching your word and, and seeking uh, your truth and seeing your incredible plan and purpose uh, through your word come into focus for us. So Lord, we pray that you guide us, uh, guide our hearts and our minds to a deeper love for your Son, Jesus Christ, and for uh, the incredible uh, gift and joy that it is to be able to serve Jesus Christ as Lord and King over our lives. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, great. Uh, this morning, I'm just going to read the first section of, jo uh, of 1 Samuel uh, 22 for us. It is uh, just a small uh, section that we did look at last week, but let me read it for us and we will begin there. It says this, David left Gath and escaped to the cave of Adullam. When his brothers and his father's household heard about it, they went down to him there. All those who were in distress or in debt or in discontent gathered around him, and he became their commander. About 400 men were with him. From there David went to Mizpah in Moab and said to the king of Moab, Would you let my father and mother come and stay with you until I learn what God will do for me? So he left them with the king of Moab, and they stayed with him as long as David was in the stronghold. But the prophet Gad said to David, Do not stay in the stronghold. Go into the land of Judah. So David left and went to the forest of Hereth. So I'm just going to read that far for us. Uh, it gives us a bit of, connects uh, the two sections, last week's and this week's together for us, just to see uh, what is happening. And so if you recall, uh, last week David has been fleeing, uh, fleeing from Saul, fleeing from uh, situations. He wound up uh, even in the presence of the king of Gath. Uh, and uh, he escaped and eventually found himself in Adlam, and that's where we picked up now this morning, but also ended with last week. Uh, and at that point, he has 400 men that begin to gather around him. So if you want a bit of a title of what today's talk is about, uh, I've called it The Distressed, The Discontent, The Debtors, and King. Uh, and so we are going to look at uh, this peculiar situation that we find ourselves in in the story. Uh, but 
as we go, hopefully it will give you a bit of a picture of, again, what is taking place in the book of 1 Samuel as a whole, but also uh, what is significantly taking place, at least in this section that we are looking at uh, today. So keep in mind, this is an incredible small incredibly small piece of one Samuel one and two Samuel as a whole story uh, but it is significant for a number of reasons just a bit of refreshing for your for your own mind if you if you've perhaps forgotten uh, the beginning of one Samuel begins with Hannah's prayer and this whole idea of a raising up and a bringing down a raising up of God's uh, God's king, God's chosen one, uh, but also bringing down of the proud. So uh, bringing down of those who are proud or hoity or tall ones, uh, but a raising up of those that are humble. And really, this passage this morning exemplifies that for us once again. Uh, we really get to see another glimpse of the decline and rise of two strong characters and two central characters in the book of 1 Samuel. We have David on the outskirts of this passage this morning. So we've read the first section where we see David, who is in hiding. He is in this cave, and then he winds up in the king of Moab to ask for help uh, to protect his family. And then uh, we find him at the end of the passage again, uh, where there is more unfolding events as uh, we have uh, not only now 400 people, but we also have a significant person fleeing to him, uh, fleeing to David now, which is quite interesting in a change of events, as we will see a little bit later. Uh, But here in this section, you see the rise again of David as the up and coming king. Uh, and we see the decline of Saul all the more. Uh, so we will pick up on some of those ideas. A really a fantastic picture for us if you want to flesh out the idea that is unfolding. Uh, if you think of David who has, who has been anointed at this point, but he has not yet been uh, appointed or made king over the nation by the people. Uh, but he is slowly but surely finding his his way into that position. On the other side, you have Saul, who is becoming further and further removed from Israel. And particularly in this passage this morning, uh, Saul's uh, separation from Israel becomes even more evident. And we will expand on that further. As for this passage that we are going to look at now, uh, some of the things that we want to pick up up front is uh, something that we saw last week is that there are 400 people, uh, 400 men that have now gathered around David. And this is significant. Uh, these are these people are the distressed, those that are in debt and those that are discontent. And we need to ask ourselves the question, well, why are they why are they discontent? Why are they in distress? Why are they in debt? Well, it's most likely at the hand of Saul. They have found themselves in this position because uh, Saul has been ruling over them. And so they're fleeing from their land. They're fleeing from Israel. They're fleeing from Judah, perhaps from where they've come out of. And now they have sought out uh, David to help them, to look after them. The other side of it is that uh, David is, uh, he hasn't particularly gone out of his way to find these people for them to come to him. But they have heard obviously something of David. They know something about him and he is the person that they want to go to to seek help. Uh, On the other side, you have Saul in this passage who is uh, frustrated. We see that he is incredibly angry in this passage because he finds out that there is more uh, conspiring against him. 
And he is frustrated because not only is Jonathan conspiring against him, but the priests uh, at Nob are conspiring against him. And so in as the story progresses, we will see that uh, Saul arrives here at Nob uh, to find the priest Ahimelech uh, and all the other priests uh, that they are now guilty in many ways of conspiring against Saul because, and the reason being, because they had an informed Saul. So Saul saw their role and responsibility as informants. They were supposed to inform uh, Saul if they came across David or noticed anything, but instead they had helped uh, they'd helped David, and so they gave food to David, and we saw last week Ahimelech provided food and bread uh, for David and his men. What's also interesting, however, on that note, is that in the midst of last week's story, we heard that there was a snake in the grass. There was someone lurking in the background, and there was just one short brief mention of a person called Doeg, and he is Saul's uh, chief shepherd. And here in this passage this morning, we find Doeg has returned. Uh, Doeg comes along with uh, with Saul this time. And it is significant that we just pick up who he is. Doeg is an Edomite. And this is important in the story of 1 and 2 Samuel, because uh, if you consider who the Edomites were, they were connected back to Esau, and they were part of the tribe, one of the groups of people and tribes that uh, hindered Israel entering into the promised land. And so they are actually classified as a Gentile group, a Gentile tribe, a Gentile uh, section of society. They're not considered as Israelites or Hebrews. They are, uh, they are Gentiles. And so what this paints a picture for us is actually a further representation of Saul's decline. Saul's no longer seeking to uh, find help from the Lord. He's no longer seeking to find help from his own household as he drives Saul out, as he tries to kill Jonathan, as he uses his people for evil intention. And that we see exemplified and, and actually echoed even further in this section as he calls his his men around him to actually slay the priests of Nob. Uh, and their response is no. They refuse to do so because they see them as priests and they see that there is something horribly wrong with this. Uh, and so Saul's own uh, court is unwilling to do his bidding. And so he turns to Doeg, the Edomite, who then slays and puts to death uh, the this whole city, actually, of Nob. Uh, and this is women, children, men, cattle, everybody. He, he puts them to death. So we see Saul's further decline at this point. If we saw Saul as having declined before, now we see him declining to the point of seeking the nations around him uh, to hold him in place. Uh, to try and keep him in his position of kingship. But ultimately we see his his depravity, how far he has gone from being a king that is supposed to serve uh, God's people uh, and serve the Lord ultimately, to actually a king that is purely going after his own aims and own uh, goals. And so we pick up some of the stuff that uh, Saul does say, just to read one or two things, listen to these uh, couple verses here it says now in verse 6 now Saul heard that David and his men had been discovered and Saul was uh, Saul was seated spear in hand under the tamarisk tree on the hill of Gibeah with all his officials standing at his side he said to them listen men of Benjamin will the son of Jesse give all of you fields and vineyards 
Will he make all of you commanders of thousands and commanders of hundreds? Is that why you have all conspired against me? No one tells me when my son makes a covenant with the son of Jesse. None of you is concerned about me or tells me that my son has incited my servant to lie in wait for me as he does today. We hear uh, just how paranoid Saul is, how frustrated he is, how he is thinking about this whole situation. And so you hear the language, you hear him trying to convince his own men by saying, David will not be a good king to you. He will not give you what you want. Uh, But in actual fact, it echoes what's happening on the outskirts. You have those that are in distress, those that are discontent, those that are are debtors running now to David instead of Saul. Because Saul hasn't actually held up that end of supposedly the bargain that he is now uh, trying to prove or demonstrate uh, to, to his people by convincing them. Uh, And beyond that, we see uh, Saul sitting there yet again with spear in hand. He's ready. He is in the wrong state of mind. He is ready to kill uh, David as soon as the chance presents itself. And so this is quite a significant uh, just picture that we get as we think about this. We see this decline of Saul even further. He is declining into trying to turn his own people, uh, not only against David, but actually against the newly anointed king. Uh, But also he is now going to reach out to the Gentiles rather than uh, actually use his own people because they won't respond to him anymore. And as the story unfolds, we see that taking place. Um, If you want to just pick up a few more things. Verse 13, Saul said to him, Why have you conspired against me, you and the son of Jesse, giving him bread and a sword and inquiring of God for him, so that he has rebelled against me and lies in wait for me as he does today. And so you hear this repetition again uh, of his paranoia as David supposedly lies in wait. Uh, Well, in actual fact, David, we are told, is in hiding in many ways. Um, But also this conspiring. So as soon as conspiring comes together, there's this lying in wait that Saul sees. And so he questions everybody and he he interrogates them uh, because he wants to know why people are conspiring against him. But ultimately, where is David? He wants justice to be done against him. Ultimately, what transpires is that he sees Ahimelech and all of the priests as having uh, conspired. uh, And that is fit for uh, death, and so their judgment is to die. Uh, but nobody is willing to do this. I read there, halfway through verse 17, But the king's officials were unwilling to raise a hand to strike the priests of the Lord. The king then ordered Doeg, You turn and strike down the priests. So Doeg the Edomite turned and struck them down. That day he killed 85 men who wore the linen ephod. He also put to the sword Nob, the town of priests, with its men and women, its children and infants, and its cattle, donkeys and sheep. But one son of Ahimelech, son of Ahitub, uh, named Abithar, escaped and fled to join David. He told David that Saul had killed the priests of the Lord. Uh, And so we'll just stop there and we'll highlight the next bit in a moment. 
But here you have this absolute brutality, this this absolute slaughter of God's priests, the priests at Nob. And Saul goes even further. He not only uh, seeks out uh, someone that is willing to kill, and that person is a Gentile, but he seeks them out to not just kill, but kill the Lord's priests, the priests at Nob. Uh, And this is a despicable thing to really take place. So again, just to paint that picture, to see that weight, that contrast, you see this decline of Saul. Uh, But what is the response of people as Saul declines as king, as Saul becomes worse and worse? uh, What is the result? Well, we see the people flee. Uh, And ironically, David was the one that had or David has been the one that's fleeing. But here we see that people uh, would rather flee to David himself. And so we see uh, in verse 21, we pick up again, he told, uh, sorry, verse 20, uh, but one son of Ahimelech, son of Ahitub, named Abithar, escaped and fled to join David. He fled to David. Uh, Verse 21, he told David that Saul had killed the priests of the Lord. Then David said to Abithar, that day when Doeg, uh, the Edomite, uh, was there, I knew he would be sure to tell Saul. I am responsible for the death of your whole family. Stay with me. Don't be afraid. The man who wants to kill you is trying to kill me too. You will be safe with me. Uh, Beautiful words. Uh, Yes, suddenly David has become a place of refuge, not only for 400 people, but the the last standing priest that comes out of Nob. Uh, And so he invites uh, invites him in. He invites uh, Abithar into his presence, into his company. And so we have this setting on both ends. We have people fleeing to David, fleeing to the true king, fleeing to the anointed one. uh, And he takes them in. You have the distress, the debtors, the disconsent. Uh, the discontent running to David, uh, the new, uh, the true anointed king, the the Messiah that they are waiting for. And David doesn't shun them. He doesn't take them away. Uh, he at this point he opens up and he looks after them. And these beautiful words, at least that we see uh, painted by David, saying, "Come here, uh, you will be safe with me," uh, is quite a beautiful sentiment. Whether that's true. We will have to wait and see as the story unfolds. But as for this point, it's a beautiful picture that we are painted. Uh, as as Saul is declining in the middle, uh, we see David being raised up. He is taking on this responsibility, this role of a king that really should, what a king really should look like. Uh, reaching out, looking after the those that are in distress, discontent, debtors, or, or those that are hurting, those that are uh, just have nowhere to turn. Uh, but the irony is that David himself is in the exact same position, as he highlights to Abithar. Uh, just to read that again, he said, um, Stay with me, don't be afraid. The man who wants to kill you is trying to kill me too, he says. He is in the exact same boat uh, as this priest. Uh, as uh, Abithar is. 
And so there's this beautiful picture that we are painted. He is in isolation. He is, he is kicked out. He is rejected uh, by, uh, if you could put it this way, by Israel uh, being represented through Saul. Uh, but the king of Israel, the current king, has rejected uh, David. And so he now rejects other people. But what we also see is something really remarkable taking place. Just something to keep in the back of our minds here as we look at this passage. In the first section, you hear that David is waiting to hear from the Lord. And then he gets word from the prophet Gad uh, to go back to Judah. And here we find uh, at the end of this section in chapter 22, we have the priest Abathar coming to David as well. And so you have this interesting play taking place. You have not only the people that are in distress and desperate looking for a king, but you actually now have these three figures. You have Gad the prophet, uh, you have Abathar the priest, and you have, uh, you have David the king. And so you have this picture of prophet, priest, and king, which helps us to actually see that there is something being established established here. There is a new line, a new uh, Israel, if you could put it that way, being raised up. You have 400 people seeking refuge from the king who is taking his guidance from the word of that comes to the prophet Gad. And now he has also got a priest in his presence. So this is a beautiful picture that is painted for us here. Uh, incredible picture as we see something transpiring. But for us, this is important, uh, again, and I can't stress this enough, is to recognize in the bigger picture of the story, this rise and fall uh, of both uh, of David and Saul. And so that's helpful for us to keep in the back of our minds. But what is so significant about this passage for us today? Uh, well, as I said, uh, the, the title that I've given it is The Distress, the Discontent, and the Debtors. And the king. Uh, and so who is the king here? Who is the king in this section? Well, I think first and foremost, in this passage, we see who the true king is. A true king being marked by what a king should be doing is marked by the people's response to him. And so in this passage, what is significant is we see that uh, people are running to the true king. Uh, and those that are in distress, those that are discontent, those that are in debt, they flee to David. And so the king here seems to be painted more by David than by Saul himself. Though Saul has a level of power and authority, we see how he is declining. Uh, but I've put the king in there because, well, it's ambiguous at this point. We, we see this strange thing unfolding between uh, David, who is the true new king, uh, but Saul, who is still holding on to that title as much as he can. And he's becoming more and more of the king that Samuel uh, so vividly pointed out would take place uh, in if we go back to 1 Samuel 8. And so a king that would take, take, take. Uh, but here you have David who gives, gives, gives. He protects, he looks out, he, he, he invites people in. A slightly different picture of a king at this point. It's not going to stay that way, but at least at this section we see that transpiring. But this is a beautiful image that we can actually connect and we can see how that transpires and unfolds. Uh, particularly as we look uh, to the New Testament. But before we look to the New Testament, there's this incredible passage that is worth uh, just looking at. Uh, and if you want, uh, we can actually see it uh, highlighted and quoted in the New Testament. Uh, but let me read this for us uh, quickly. If we turn to Luke 4, uh, 
verse 18. Listen to these words. The Spirit of the Lord is on me, because He has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the opposed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. This is a quote that's in fact taken out of one Sam, of, of Isaiah 61 verse 1 and 2. Uh, but we get this beautiful picture of Jesus Christ, the Messiah. Uh, how beautiful those words, the Spirit of the Lord is on me. Uh, if you think of how the Spirit of the Lord uh, comes upon, uh, is upon David, he has been anointed. Because he has anointed me, David has been anointed, to proclaim good news to the poor. The poor, those that are in desperation, are running to David at this point. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind. To set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And so we see this kind of picture almost uh, represented in David. But as we look at this now, we see the picture in Luke at least being reiterated uh, as we see Jesus taking up this role. Uh, it says there in Luke verse, uh, chapter 4, verse 16, He went to Nazareth where he had been brought up. And on the Sabbath day, he went into the synagogue as was, was the custom. He stood up to read. Uh, the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. Unrolled it, he found the place where it is written. And so he reads this section. Uh, and then it carries on in verse 20. Then he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant and sat down. The eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him. He began by saying to them, Today the scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. All spoke well of him and were amazed at the gracious words that came from his lips. Isn't this Joseph's son? They asked. Jesus said to them, Surely you will quote this proverb to me. Physician, heal yourself, and you will tell me, Do hear in your hometown what you have heard that you did in Capernaum. And so what is Really interesting, though, is uh, that he, he really fulfills this role, but all the way to the point of him actually pointing out that he is going to, he's already alluded to the fact that he is going to die, and people are going to look at him and jeer at him. Uh, but what is so remarkable about this is he is going to be cast out as well. He gets cast out of his hometown. He gets kicked out of places. He is rejected by his own people. Uh, because they do not believe that he is the true Messiah. Much like David. David was kicked out by his king, by Saul. He was driven out. Uh, and what is so remarkable is so much of the picture of the Messiah that we see in David. We see fulfilled all the more in Jesus Christ. As, Je as Jesus is driven out uh, by his own people, he goes out into the wilderness, into into further reaching areas and people flock to him much like people have flocked uh, to David 400 flock to David we hear of 4,000 flocking to Jesus 
And how incredible it is to see that uh, in Jesus Christ. That He is the true Messiah. He is the one that will fulfill this. That He is the one that fulfills the picture that we see of, of David. People that are in distress, discontent, debtors. People that are hurting. People that are suffering. They come to the King. Uh, but where David fails as King, Jesus Christ succeeds all the more. Jesus Christ succeeds to the point that he is willing to go to the cross for his people. And David gets to a point where he is still able to connive and worm his way out of it. But Jesus doesn't give in. Jesus goes the full distance. He is willing to die on a cross. And even when people call out to him and say, heal yourself, get yourself off the cross, save yourself, he doesn't. Even though he could, he doesn't. Because he is a king that is willing to go to the very ends for his people. Not only to do so, but to establish his people. Christ's death at the hands of his own people is for the establishment of his people, of his kingdom, of his throne. It is through what Christ does as the perfect king, the perfect Messiah, through his death and resurrection, that he establishes a throne that is everlasting, that will not fail, that will not fall, that nothing, no one, no enemy, nothing can come against it and break it down and destroy. And so for us today, maybe you are sitting in that position. Maybe you are in distress. Maybe you're discontent. Maybe you're in debt. Know that we have a mighty king. Uh, he may not take away the problems, but he has given us a solution eternally through his son, Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is our king, our true Messiah, the one that fulfills it all. And for us today, we can run to him. We can find refuge in him. We can find relief in him. That Whatever may come at us in this world, whatever enemy is sitting with whatever spear in hand, that he has taken the throne. That he is the one to whom we can give all glory, all praise and all honor. And so for you today, maybe you need to be reminded of this. We have so many people around us trying to do the right things. But there is one that has done it perfectly and that is Jesus Christ. And I know it may not answer your immediate situation, but Jesus Christ is the king that has given the greatest gift that any king could ever give. The only king that has been able to give this gift, that is Jesus Christ, and he has given us life. That nothing can rob us of that life. And that in him, uh, he has given us life and a way to have an incredibly perfect relationship with the Father in heaven. He has restored that relationship. So I hope that that encourages you, that gives you hope, and that it fills you with a joy. Let's pray together. Gracious Heavenly Father, we do thank you for Jesus Christ, that he is the greater David, that though he was despised and rejected, though he was in hiding and seeking refuge, that even in the midst of that, you still had a plan and a purpose for him. That he was able to call uh, people to himself. And that people flocked to him. People ran to him because he was a king capable of giving life. 
Though he didn't change the immediate circumstance of many people uh, in the sense of taking away the pain or suffering immediately or or giving it immediately for everlasting uh, conditions, but that ultimately in and through you uh, that he has given life, life that cannot be taken away. So we thank you that through your son Jesus Christ there is perfect life, that there is hope for a restored relationship with our Creator And Lord, we thank you for your incredible gift, your incredible kingship, your incredible plan uh, that we see fulfilled all the way through history, from David to Isaiah, uh, all the way through to King Jesus, who has uh, died for his people. And we thank you and we glorify you, Lord. And we pray that this may permeate deeper into our lives, that we may have a greater sense of appreciation and thanks uh, as we worship and praise and glorify your Son, Jesus Christ. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I hope that this encourages you. I hope you have a wonderful day and that you will share the good news with one another wherever you go. Uh, Be blessed and uh, we will see you soon. Cheers. Bye. Thank you.